Welcome back to the Tale of Edgar Trunk Season 1 discussion on Book 1. We are in the final two chapters of this book to close out, not the tale, but this installment. It's the finale! I'm Jason O'Silva. And I'm Annette Silva. And we're so glad you tuned in and we hope that you've followed along in this journey and that you've enjoyed it. I sure have. Oh, I have. I feel like I learn something new every time. Oh my gosh. This, wow. I mean, I kind of want to just head into the summary and then we could break it down. Yeah, let's do it. Ooh. All right. Effectively, this chapter is the last chapter. There's the second chapter is sort of an epilogue. It's a little meatier than that, but yeah, this one, though, this, this one, this chapter, chapter 11, it's called The Man with Many Tubes. Ooh, okay. At first, here's where we open the chapter. At first, Edgar finds himself in a grand ballroom with a long banquet table overflowing with food. The aromas make him salivate. He is checking out the spread. He's observing one delight after another as he makes his way like down the table to the head of the table. He forces restraint. He dis- he's watching. He tells himself no. But when he gets to the end of the table, he sees this whole assortment of cheeses and he just can't help himself. <laughs> so dirty nails and all. He reaches down and pinches his grubby fingers around a wedge of brie cheese. He pops it into his mouth and bites down, only to realize it's dusty candle wax. All this is a spell, he realizes, and now, when he looks up at the end of the table, he sees there's this high back chair, it's sort of throne-like, and this sickly old man is sitting there. He is decrepit and pale and disgusting to behold. Strangely, he wears this like metal cap with dozens of rubber tubes connected to it. These tubes cascade down and disappear somewhere beneath the table. When the man speaks, his voice is wet and phlegmy and is the stuff of nightmares. So, this man tries to get Edgar to eat more of the fake cheese, but Edgar refuses since he knows it's a spell now and he is not to be fooled. In response, the old man waves his hand and dismisses the illusion. He's like, okay, fine, no more illusions for you. You don't need them. You don't care about them, so why am I going to waste the energy? And so now, no illusions, we see what is really in this room. This banquet table is actually a long, intricate, and ghastly machine that the old man is connected to by these many tubes. Although some of the tubes thread into glass compartments seen on the bottom half closest to the ground. And uh, the glass is dark and the liquid is murky down there, that portion. But Edgar can see that there are curlos inside these compartments. And they are wearing like these similar metal caps, helmets, if you will. And they are connected to the old man via these tubes. The curlos look like they're dead and Edgar is understandably horrified. He, Edgar, insists that he knows that the man works for him and the old man doesn't like hearing that. He becomes irate. He tells Edgar that he is above him. Edgar says, what about Warnock? And the old man goes, take a look. He slides back another compartment. 
on this machine and then in like more murky liquid, a head bobs into view and it is Warnock. Hey. Yeah, clearly he is uh, dead as well. Edgar has no idea who this guy is. The old man goes on a rant saying that the factory must feed on something to survive and that something it needs is soul or like essence. He goes on to reveal to Edgar that he has been snacking on Edgar's soul slash essence for years and he muses about how potent it is. Oof. Finally, Edgar puts it together that this man has acted through an avatar-like illusion, often seen as a cloaked stranger. So, this is the cloaked stranger. Furthermore, we learn that this man is basically the functioning soul of the factory, so when we think of the factory as being alive, he is like its life force. And so he goes on to tell Edgar that him had given Edgar over to him, the, the factory, the, this guy, as an offering because there's this sort of like symbiotic relationship between him's nefarious plan and the factory remaining this functional like being, at least to the level that it currently is. But there seems to have been some gray area. Him wanted Edgar dead, and it, it would seem that him assumed that the old man would take Edgar and do the deed much sooner versus keep him alive all these years like he has done. Nonetheless, he, this creepy old man, has decided to finally now finish Edgar all the way. But first he reveals that he has captured Sebastian, and he plans to finish off the Krillos once and for all as Edgar watches all this as an appetizer. It continues. <laughs> Edgar rushes the old man in an attempt to stop him, but an invisible barrier prevents him. After some cackling and some desperate conversation among the three of them, the old man refers to himself straight up as the factory, and he calls himself the vessel, as in, like, the entity that takes in the essence and holds it for the factory. He's sort of like the keeper of the essence in a way. And we begin to see Sebastian's essence travel from his tiny metal cap toward the old man via, like, one of these tubes connecting them. And uh, it is quite delightful for the old man. He's in this, like, moment of ecstasy, and he kind of gets lost in the ceremony of it all. And so, like, this barrier that's been holding Edgar back, uh, Edgar notices it is weakened. Animal-like, Edgar lunges toward the old man. He just starts grabbing these tubes. He's biting them in half. He's yanking them free of their fittings. He's, like, full beast mode. And before the old man can snap out of his own trance, Edgar's done a lot of damage. Sebastian escapes and, in true Sebastian form, just totally disappears. Now, Edgar is left alone with this angered old man who uses his powers to grip Edgar in an invisible fist, and he kind of begins to squeeze the life out of him. When, and we think it's like, it's curtains for Edgar, and uh, at the last moment, Sebastian returns from the shadows to finish clipping and yanking these remaining tubes out of the old man's helmet and off of the machine as well. And this greatly diminishes the, man's, the old man's powers, and ultimately this sickly vessel of a man... Now, without a direct connection to this machine, because all the tubes have been severed, he dies. Edgar tries to pretend this is some big victory, but he has a sinking feeling that there's more to this. Sebastian confirms these suspicions and, and tells Edgar that it, the creature that was pursuing him earlier, is alive. Edgar thought, you know, maybe he died in that room, but uh, Sebastian confirms, no, he didn't. He also says that it is pretty much unkillable. And furthermore, it and him, now that the they've like gotten rid of this pesky vessel, weird old man character, 
they are free to go after him without anybody in between or anything in between. So there was this kind of weird dynamic where the factory was alive thanks to this old man character, this kind of weird soul of the factory, if you will, in that with that power, he was able to sort of like keep Edgar under this bubble of protection to an extent. And it and him really couldn't do much. They kind of needed the factory. Well, Edgar and Sebastian have just removed that level of protection, necessary evil, but now Edgar's even more exposed than he was before. And with this knowledge, they exit Edgar and Sebastian through a hidden door, another of the many hidden doors, and they flee. Holy moly. Oh, boy. This old, old man sounds disgusting. (laughs) People, like parents especially, they'll be like, is it scary? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. There's some dark themes, but this book isn't scary. Yeah, but that's kind of scary. Oh, reading these chapters again, I was like, this is terrifying. (laughs) I remember that you actually were playing around with AI as we were working on book three. And we, you, were working on book three. And you had created an image that I'm pretty sure was supposed to be this vessel man. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I was putting in the prompts. I was curious to just bring more visuals to this world, just having fun. And one of the ones that I went after was the vessel. Yeah, it's so visual. I remember that from this chapter, from the climax of this book. But you know what else I remembered so vividly from this chapter is the way you describe this table of this (laughs) feast of food. Oh, yeah. And I realized... When I first read this book over 10 years ago, I remembered this table, this feast being very visual. But now that I've been with you for 10 years as your partner, you basically describe the perfect Thanksgiving for yourself, like your favorite (laughs) dishes. You put a honey glazed ham, deviled (laughs) eggs, uh, cheesy potato casserole. Yum. Chocolate meringue pie, hot double fudge brownies, <laughs> on and on. I'm like, oh my God, it's all Jason's favorite things at Thanksgiving. Hey, Thanksgiving is like a couple of weeks away. It's not too late to bring this table to life. <laughs> Maybe we do. We have an Edgar trunk. We have a creepy vessel factory character Thanksgiving yeah. meal. Yep, yep. And then we'll dress up as the old man. Oh, no, I want to be Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, I'll be. Uh, well, Sage has to be Edgar. Well, somebody's got to be Warnock. Who's it going to be? Probably me after I eat all that food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this guy, uh, there was a, let's see. This is the description. So that was the food, which is <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but th- very descriptive, this chapter. So this is the description of the guy, though. At the head of the table, enthroned in a high-backed and ornate wooden chair, sat an old, old man. He wore a thick metal cap from which protruded 30 or more tubes, all a sickly white rubber. The tubes cascaded down the chair and on top of, beneath, and around the long banquet table. Edgar daren't look at them, for the old man studied him closely, and he did not want to get caught staring. He thought it 
most polite to just maintain eye contact. But the old man's face caused Edgar to grimace. It was a deathly, sickly face the color of light gray. The nose, long and crooked, hung at an unbalanced angle. His neck and arms were a resting place for liver spots. And his eyes. Oh, his eyes caused Edgar to shudder twice. They were pale and empty with a tapestry of black veins webbed across the whites of them. Even the pupils had a haunting and desperate quality. One of them bulged, large and black, fully dilated, while the other was hardly a pin dot. He spoke in a voice wet and throaty, with the hint of amusement. Wet and throaty. That sounds like us when we're sick. Hey, bud. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> the description of this man is so vivid and disgusting, and it he also kind of sounds like like a really old person who's on life support at the hospital, you know? Yeah. Like translucent, pale skin, veiny, veiny eyes. It's it's scary. It's not something you want to look at when you have this big banquet hall of food, delicious food to go to. Oh, yeah. But the food has disappeared by this point, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he sees the food, he eats it. It's not real. Then he finally, it reveals the vessel man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but if he had had an appetite still, it would be gone by now. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if the food was actually real, I don't think he'd still, he'd be able to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I true. Be. Yeah. So we have this, this big fight, but as in really great stories, the big bad villain at the end of the book. So this is basically the big bad villain at the end of the book. We have lots of villains that Edgar uh, crosses paths with, but this is like the cloaked stranger. The factory has been the enemy, protecting Edgar while also using Edgar at the same time. Feeding off of him. Feeding off of him. And then you have like the the uber villains of him and it, well... It surely has, by now, nine years later, gotten wind. Edgar's still alive, and being like a henchman for him has come out to the factory to snuff him out. Of course, he he does, but Edgar escapes, only to have to now face the factory. And uh, there's more we learn in the next chapter, so I I won't um, I won't go there yet. But there is like a two-parter. We get like all this information from our our main bad villain for book one, this vessel character. He gives us like more context. There's this whole little bit. Um, Edgar's asking him, "Why didn't you kill me like you did those Krillos or Warnock?" The uh, the vessel replies, "I wouldn't dream of it." He moaned, "And waste you all in one sitting, dear boy. You are all that's left in this place that's real." A real delicacy in a world of declining taste. Don't look so sad. You are an offering by him. To keep this place running while his hideous influences pervaded the walls, I had a fee. I agreed to let him do whatever he wished, his big master plan, superfluous really, in exchange for you. So basically this, this vessel is like, I know you want Edgar gone, let, let me have him and I'll... I'll keep the factory alive, I'll be its life force. And I, the old man, understand that 
this factory having a life force is essential to your master plan of letting the darkness take over everything. Then he goes on to say, uh, his, yeah, his plan will not succeed without my cooperation. So there is this like symbiotic relationship between two unrelated evils that have to work in tandem for the greater evils plan to work. So him needs the factory. Uh, if he knew you were still alive, he'd be very unhappy, dare I say, afraid. That's interesting. Yeah. So we've, you know, we've, we've learned that it, him, they're after Edgar. They don't like the fact that he's around, but this is the first time we're hearing that him would actually be afraid that Edgar was still alive. Yeah. Wonder why. Well, you tell me. <laughs> Any predictions? Edgar has learned that he's come from this long line of inventors. So I think Edgar holds the key to rewinding what has become, like fixing the darkness that has fallen upon the factory. He's a threat. Yeah. So it's more than just him, part of him bringing in the dark, bringing on or bringing about the darkness. It certainly is about the extinction of humankind. But, and it seems that he's done a pretty good job so far from what we gather. But the fact that Edgar is still alive and is a threat, that's interesting. And he knows it. So it's, it's more reason for him to snuff Edgar out and be like, no, this has to end. Although the vessel goes on to say that now he's going to do it anyway. So yeah, yeah. who cares about him? There's, uh, <laughs> there's moments where... Edgar's horrible life has kind of prepared him to have this battle, whereas he might not have been so prepared. And there's a paragraph that speaks to that, that was pretty funny. It's on page 193. So this is when he's like, Edgar finally breaks through this like invisible barrier to like lunge at the vessel. The, the passage says, Years of eating hardened, stale bread rolls had strengthened both Edgar's jaws and his teeth. And so when he bit down on the tube, it gave easily. He severed the hose, and before anyone could react, Edgar reached up and gripped two more tubes, clenching a sour, gnarly hunk of hose in his mouth. He yanked at the other hoses with all his might. So I love that it's like he's had to eat these stale bread rolls, and as a result, nine years later... He's got a strong bite. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I imagine, though, like these holos are like, um, mm -hmm. like they are made of rubber. But in my mind, I just pictured like, a, um, like a rice paper spring roll. <laughs> okay. And like how you can bite through that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I know this is different. This is much hardier than that. I picture like a sour straw. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that texture, not the tit, like, cause those, those are good, delicious, but like a nasty sour straw that has no sugar. What do you, what do you picture is the diameter of the tubes? Like kind of similar, like maybe a little thicker than that. Kind of like a, like an ice maker. Oh, wow. Well, cause he's got dozens. them bigger, like, um, like a water hose. Well, if he's got dozens. Yeah, that's true. That's and he's the only like reason. a spaghetti man head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got all these noodles coming out. 
But, you know, the essence has to be able to travel through the tube so they can't be too thin. I have a question about that, too, because you've noted multiple times that the fluid flowing through into the vessel is green. Yeah. What's that about? I guess I just like the visual. It's like, I mean, what color would a soul be? It's kind of this like vibrant green. And oh, yeah, I can picture it vividly. I think if I just look at my other options, like red is too, it's too much like blood, it's too gory. You know, purple, too magical, whimsical, unicorny. You know, black, just. Too... Everything else in this book is already black. Yeah, like it could have been blue, maybe. What color would you do? I guess I would automatically do red because I would just think that it was their blood. Or I would do white and think that it was kind of like this wispy, smoky, like representative of their soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the green was interesting because this is such a colorless world. Everything is like this yeah. monotone, black, gray color palette. Mm -hmm. And so to see something that's green just felt very like, where did this come from? And you know what else it reminded me of? Remember in James and the Giant Peach when he Love that book. squirts into the peach and like there's like green ooze that comes out? Uh, I don't remember it's that like specifically. It's like neon bright green. It's crazy. <laughs> I knows? picture it looking like that. Like it kind of glows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I do too. And it's totally possible that I was inspired by that or like the dark crystal certainly yeah. like that that concept like in the dark crystal where it's like their essence is being drawn and that might be green keep in mind like i wrote this 20 years ago so it no i know i'm just you know it, it sticks out because it's a color yeah yeah uh, that's very different from all the colors in this world and i think it's interesting because you're pulling green it's coming from like acrylo mm -hmm. but it's also coming from warnock you know yeah, I mean, you've got, and if you look at like the other source of energy, it's sludge, which is black. Yeah. So it, they definitely are like, this thing's been slow, like it's been preparing. It's, it's a doomsday prepper. Like it's, it's rationing what's available to it to stay alive. And it just feels like it's at the end of the road. I wonder if the vessel is aware of its own demise and wants that final meal. Because if Edgar's been so tasty and potent, you'd either continue to savor it so that it because it could presumably replenish. Because yeah, after nine years, it's not like he's this colorless, translucent skin right. kid. You know, he's vibrant and all that. So I, I get the sense that his is replenishable. And so that's why it's been like, take a little bit, let it replenish. I'll take a little more, let it replenish. Yeah. And it does seem like things are coming to a head. It's there. There's that whole scene now, if we think back to the, the when Edgar leaves his room and it's like the painted, the, he's painted the sunset with the factory, the stranger in the cloak appears and then like a shadow is approaching, which we now know is it. And the, the cloak stranger like rushes off before it gets there. We had that whole conversation about like the, the hierarchy of the different bad guys. Yeah. 
And so there is a clear, there is a fear. The vessel fears it. I wonder if it is like this wild card that it works for him. It's like a henchman, but also it could make its own choices and go off, like depart from the plan if it decided to. Yeah, maybe. I could see that. It's got free will and its own agenda, maybe. Well, I think his assignment is to bring Edgar back to him, right? But it wouldn't surprise me if it just ate Edgar. Yeah, it's like, sorry, here's the shoes. (laughs) That's what's left. Oh, wait, he doesn't have shoes. (laughs) Yeah. So it it seems like, like talking through it, it feels like this is like a final meal. Like the vessel knows my time has come. I took too long with this kid. It's too powerful. Him is vengeful and I'm going to just eat it all now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. And no more snacking. It's time for the main meal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm going to binge eat this. I like how you said he's been snacking on Edgar this whole time because... Now we understand what these dreams are that Edgar's been having and this strange figure that's been visiting him in this, in mm-hmm. his dreams. It wasn't, it wasn't a dream after all, or not entirely. Like no. this vessel was there snacking on him while he was sleeping or maybe when he wasn't sleeping, but he was like put He's in a lucid. trance, yeah. you know, and that makes so much sense. It's terrifying that to, for him to realize this has been happening and there is a, we've already established Edgar has this connection to the machine. And when we talk about the machine, we think about those globes, not necessarily a connection to the vessel or this weird banquet table sized machine or like what the warthog man has. It's the thing with the globes. Like that's the connection for Edgar. The vessel makes reference to in the snacking, being aware of Edgar's dreams of this machine as well. So I guess it's like, it kind of is part of the essence in a way, your dreams and your thoughts. Yeah. When you think about like, if that's your soul, what's part of your, what makes up your soul? So knowing that now, like, what is your connection with the banyan tree? Like, does that, does that answer any more questions about the tree? Well, he learns that he was born under it. So I think this is just a fragment, fragmentary image from childhood, early childhood. Do you think like when the vessel is like snacking on Edgar's essence, he's collecting like memories? Maybe. I don't know if he's collecting them like for a purpose, but certainly experiencing them. Yeah. And I wonder, is Edgar losing any of his memory through this process? Yeah. Yeah, he might be. Edgar, no one trunk. Edgar, no one trunk. The more I read it, it does read like it should be. It's noon versus no one. But now I'm like, God, I wish I would have just made it no one. Oh, I only read it as no one. I know. We can just we can just own that. Oh, I am. Well, we're talking revelations, and part one is like the bad guy revelations in the final fight, but then we get the the final Sebastian revelations in the next chapter. So you want to take us into that? Yes, I do. Okay, so this is chapter 12. It's titled Edgar Paints a Door. And 
this is the final chapter of the book, the epilogue, if you will. So they escape from the ballroom where the vessel was, and Sebastian uh, shows him what this machine in the factory has become from an observation room. So they're looking down into a space where they see these dark, rotten globes that have been overtaken by darkness. Sebastian shares that it was the vessel's job to keep this machine, which is called the Colossus, running, except it was overtaken by darkness. And eventually the world will too. Now that the vessel is gone, he's dead, they conquered him. There are other bad guys that are going to come after you too, Edgar. Him thinks you're dead right now, but until it reports otherwise, you're, they're going to come after you next. He also tells Edgar, you're not alone. There's others like you. You have to figure out how to get out of here and how to find them. Basically, it's on Edgar to save the world, to save the world from darkness. And then as Sebastian does, he disappears out of nowhere. Pop, gone. (laughs) Edgar's like, well, now I got to get out of here. What does he do? Well, he remembers his little velvet pouch of creation stones in his pocket that drew something before and could draw something again. And so he paints a door and he steps through it into an entirely different world with no darkness. But instead, a starry sky with a cool breeze and a field of fresh cut grass. And he lays down and he falls asleep. Meanwhile, we meet a new character, a girl named Olivia, who's just woken up from a nightmare in a cottage just across the field. And we also go back to the factory for a moment. We see it lurking, still looking for Edgar. Mm. Elphine. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think about this like handoff to this new character introduced on the last page oh new world this world is like it's like um jim carrey that jim carrey movie where he walks out of his pleasantville uh no 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 the, uh, uh, the truman show it's like the truman show like edgar finally like walks through a door and he's like oh this is the real world or at least another world. And it's a fantasy. Stars in the sky he's never seen. Yep. Clear skies he's never seen. Living beautiful green grass. Like a whole world that he says, I think he says, oh, wow. There is another world. What does he say? With a great big smile, he thought with wonder. So this is the world which I thought was so cool. I love that. And at least now this poor orphan boy who's grown up in a sludge factory his whole life, he finally got out. Finally got out. It's what he always wanted. And we can't ignore these creation stones that felt wasted before on this mural. He wore wore them down to make this mural. And as vivid and cool as it was, it didn't really do much for him. Now he literally makes a door, he draws it, and it becomes real, and it doesn't take him through the wall, it takes him somewhere else in the world. Yeah, entirely. And right to this, this girl, Olivia, and we've talked about Edgar being connected to the machine, having a connection to the factory, 
but clearly there's a connection to either this world or this girl as well. Yeah. Like why of all places did he end up here? Because I'm pretty sure he didn't know what he was drawing when he drew that door. He just drew a door and walked through it. Yeah. I think he was like, I need to get out. So let me draw a door. But maybe the stones that he used knew where he needed to go. Yeah. So they created that entryway for him. If these kids are connected through fate or if there's a more spiritual connection between them, like an invisible thread, maybe these stones, they kind of like, they, they empower that, that thread. They connect them. Yeah. In this like weird way, in whatever way they can. Yeah. And it probably won't be, well, I'm trying to, I say probably because let me just think about book two for a second. Yeah, we do, we do, the creation stones do run through book two, but it's very small. It's, it's like a minor detail. Book three, massive. Yeah. Massive we learn implication. a lot about what these creation stones are, how they were made what they were called, what they can do. Oh my God. It just, I mean. Yeah. You really like grabbed onto the creation stones in book three and explained a lot more about their power and history and what they can do. Yeah. It's hard not to, because it's, it's a new book and it just came out. It's hard not to want to jump into it. Don't jump into it. I won't, I won't, I won't, but more to come. And I don't want to like hop, skip over book two either. Oh, book two is my second favorite book of the three. (laughs) Book three being my favorite because of Olivia, because I feel such a connection to her as a character. And she's so different than Edgar and so fun to read. Like she's... They're so opposite. The worlds that they're in or that they come from, them as characters, they're just complete opposites. And it's great that they finally are going to meet. Uh before we go into that, though. Yeah, I had a, uh, I underlined a passage that I thought answered a lot of questions about the old, old man, the vessel. Yeah. The vessel is gone, Sebastian said. He was once a vessel of good, serving to maintain the integrity of this factory. The machine from your dreams, which you saw in rot, was once called the Colossus. It was the vessel's sole duty to keep the Colossus running. Now the Colossus sleeps. It is useless under the influence of darkness. The world suffers. Each day the Colossus is left in decay. And eventually the world will also turn to rot. He goes on to say, And now that the vessel is gone, there are others who will seek you out. Eek! It was just like a weird protection that he had from the fact, the evil version of the factory that... It wasn't good. <laughs> it, it was not desirable and it was not a good upbringing. But now he's exposed in ways where even greater terrifying forces are able to go after him, seek him out with nothing to stop them. Yeah. I mean, and Sebastian's pro- and Stu Pot are probably not going to be much in the way of bodyguards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not no. that they could do that now that we know. Edgar ends up in a whole other place in the world entirely. So question for you, because you get asked this question a lot from people who read the book. They ask you, 
have you all have you always known that this was going to be a five book series? I yes, I always had planned five books. I had these very very skimpy outlines for the other books and they changed dramatically. Once I got I would say book 1 was very much discover writing. Like I didn't I outlined like the physical locations because I was using Dante's Inferno as a as a basis for the physicality. Once I, I really got into revisions, I deviated from that, as I had said in one of the other episodes. But yeah, I was kind of putting myself in the world. I had a lot of the rules defined and I had a lot of answers, but I, did, but I didn't have all the answers. And I was just kind of exploring and discovering as I wrote. When I got to book two, I, I, put, I wanted more of a central mystery and I kind of wanted it to feel more of an isolated story that would be different from book one, but, but would also advance the series. And so it does have a really, book two has a really special feel to it. And it, it does feel like it's like a, uh, a sidestep from the main story in a way that's necessary to establish a, the, this relationship that's so crucial exploring like more of what these factories are and what like these magical qualities of the world are potentially. Book three, having done that with 10, you know, 10 years later, I revisited all the lore, all the old outlines, everything, and just said, okay, three more books, starting with book three, three, four, and five. I didn't fully outline four and five, but I course corrected everything and I dug into areas that I felt were left gray or unvisited and just, I'm like, I'm coming back to this, coming out with a bang. This world is huge and you wouldn't even know it. It, it feels big, but when you get to book three, you realize, oh no, no, I thought it was big and it's now it's epic. So what you're saying is some of the questions we still have at the end of book one you tie up with a nice bow in book three i wouldn't call it a nice bow but definitely addressed. It's, it's wrapped yeah yeah addressed your yeah i think course corrected is like a really great way to describe it because it's still ongoing it's still ongoing but the foundation of what's going on and all the pieces so that you could start to do your own theory crafting after book three. I think you could do it after book one and after book two, and certainly the clues are there. But you just jump like 10 levels when you get to book three. You get so much more. Yeah, you do. We'll get to that one eventually. But uh, it's, been, it's been really cool. To, I, I've never talked, I've never read the book so thoroughly as we've done. Oh, oh my gosh. And like we've mentioned, we've both read the book multiple times, you way more than me. But I have to say, just as my kind of closing thoughts on this series and doing this project with you, it's been so fun to just sit down with you and 
kind of dig into your brain of why you write what you write and your intention and motivation. And I just, one, I appreciate this opportunity to be able to like riff with you on, on a book that is so much a part of your identity. And because of that, a part of my identity and a lot of people comment on us living here in this old factory and oh, how, you know, this must have inspired the book when in reality, the book was already written before we started living here. And it, it's so it's just all encompassing of this life and the creative that we live within. And um, so I appreciate getting to do this series with you, Aww. babe. I really do. I'm it's been it's been so it. fun and being able to break down the creative with you has just been really great. And I want to praise you as a writer for creating something so fun and so different for children and adults to read and to take them into a world that is dark yet hopeful, um, vivid, spooky, adventurous, mysterious, and that inspires curiosity. Gosh, I don't even know how to respond to that. I'll just say thank you. You can give me a massage later. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've I've loved doing this, and I couldn't think of a better partner to better fellow creative, fellow reader, lover of books than you to be able to do this and. You know, I think like those skills that you bring as a producer and in development in many ways are superior to mine. Like I, I could always write the story, but I would struggle to in the analysis in like the clear analysis. And it's a little easier when I've written it, but you know, that's something that I had always had to work on as a kid and all the way through school. And I think it's so important because I, I work a lot on instinct and I always have intention, but sometimes I let myself off the hook from having to explain the intention. And I will say, like, this was one of the first books that I'd ever written. I was in my early 20s, and I've written a lot more since then. And even just the gap from this book to book two, even though I think it was only like two years, a lot happened. So... I'm, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. Book two is going to have a whole different feel, and I'm really curious where our discussions go. It's also longer. Not a whole lot. I think it's probably, it's like probably 50% longer than book one. Yeah, it is. The book's fatter, and the book is also purple versus this kind of dark gray look that book one has book two is purple which is really exciting to bring more color into the world yeah um olivia is on the cover of book two along with a dog who will meet <laughs> who has uh special abilities and um there's also some like kind of clue easter eggs on the on the cover too that will break down in next in the next uh season. season yeah so yeah we'll definitely uh, that's a good that's a good idea we'll have to kick off season two with just a examination of the artwork on the cover because i love when there are clues in the artwork because you could say you know as the writer i don't want any spoilers don't but it's like you got to put something on the cover i think put something interesting on the cover have there be some answers that if you look they're Close there enough yeah 
don't give away everything, but put something like make it intriguing. And so, yeah, it'll be fun. I think with book two, especially, and I know what you're referring to. There's a very big clue. So we'll have to, we'll have to dig into that, but this has been awesome for those who've, who've hung in there with us through these six episodes of exploring book one. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, uh, Hopefully we are going to take a a break before we dig into the next season where we do book two, but please, as you're listening to this, um, we will be very active with the commenting and and please like us or rate us, reach out to us, let us know you're there and, and, and let us know your thoughts. What are your theories? What's this all about? Yeah. And maybe by the time you finish this season, You'll be inspired to read along with us on season two, where Uh, you can read the books, chapters, and then listen to the episode with us. That'd be so fun. That'd be so cool. All right. We'll talk to you then.